Um, if you're using the, the Bible in the pew in front of you, that is on page number 896 in that uh, Bible. But John chapter 10, John 10, 1 through 6, as we begin a new sermon series that will last a couple of months on the whole idea of Christ the shepherd. And that's our exploration is Christ in his shepherding role as we follow him. Uh, We'll take probably a one Sunday break uh, on Easter Sunday and we'll talk about Christ the sheep, the perfect lamb of God and the perfect sacrifice. Then we're back to Christ the shepherd. But um, anyway, let's look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6 uh, this morning. And God's word says this, Jesus talking here, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Please be seated. And let's pray one more time. And ask the Lord's help today. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that's ours to be here. Thank you for our Bibles. Thank you for uh, your sending the Holy Spirit to help and teach us. And we know that in tandem, your word uh, written and your scriptures inspired by you and your Holy Spirit helping us, uh, there is uh, just a whole world of of spiritual growth and possibilities and and things you will do in our lives as we respond and and interact with your word. So we thank you for your Holy Spirit's help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So about 15 or 16 years ago, it was time to plant another Presbyterian church in Danbury. And part of planning the church is the group that's there, the launch team. They told us never call them the core group because the ones that do stick around will think they are the core group the rest of their lives. So call them the launch team. They're helping launch the church. But but the core group is all the members. We're all the core group. But the launch team gets to choose the name under the direction of whatever elders are in charge. And so we got to choose the name, Christ the Shepherd. Uh, It could have been named Second Presbyterian Church of Danbury because uh, the Brazilian congregation uh, predates us by 10 years in Danbury, so we couldn't go with First Pres and and have that. And and, uh, Second Pres just didn't sound, you know, we could say Second Pres, we try harder or something like that, like the old uh, Avis commercials. But... uh, What's in a name? Why do you name a church what it's named? And we can all think of names. And I am not going to poke fun at names, but because, you know, one man's trash is another one's treasure, and and, and what 
uh, makes sense to one for a name, makes sense to another. And there are, are, are various reasons. Why do you name a church what it's named? Why that name? Um, there are churches that I know with names that, to me, sound like radio stations. You know, the river, the journey, uh, those kinds of things. And it's like, I can understand why people are talking about that and why they want to convey a name and, and all that. But uh, to me, sometimes church isn't even in, in those kinds of names. But uh, we, we decided not to have a name like that. Uh, when I was a Frito-Lay man, a Frito Bandito in Pensacola and driving down south and on my route, there was a little church, and I always thought about it as I would go by this church. Uh, my route took me back into the little hinterlands, and I believe it was a Pentecostal church, but it was called Beams of Light Church. And I would think to myself, beam me up, Scotty. That's, uh, you know, what, what are the beams? What does it mean? Well, it means some good things. They're, they're saying there's going to be some beams of light, I guess, and there was a reason why. I wasn't sure how it would relate necessarily to the neighborhood, but that's their church. They named their church, and it was a biblical name. Um, we used to say in college, wouldn't it be good to stop with all these denominations and all these names, just have a big old white building painted all white, and then on the outside in big black letters write, church, and, and just call it church, and we're going to church, and couldn't that be? And, and maybe, uh, maybe that's impractical closest I've heard that came to that is a, a church now in Delaware where half of the elders are, are people that are my friends. Uh, it used to be called Stone's Throw Church. And it was Stone's Throw Church because when these people were in the youth group, they had a band called the Stone's Throw Band. And Stone's Throw to them was that passage in scripture where Jesus went to pray and the disciples were just a stone's throw away, and they kept falling asleep and waking up and all that, but Jesus was just a stone's throw away. So if you have the backstory, you say, that's, that's kind of good, but I thought, you know, the uh, Crystal Cathedral, if it was named, you know, stone's throw, I, I always think, when I hear that phrase, I think of people in glass, who worship in glass churches shouldn't throw stones, and that's, that's w- what came to me in, in my language, and so they've changed their name, and apparently they thought it's time for a change as we try to reach our town, and, and so they call their church the town church, and uh, that's like they're staking out the town. There's other churches in this town, like this town ain't big enough for all of our churches, and we are the town church, or, or whatever their thought process was, and, and they, uh, they call it the town. Let's go to the town, the town church. And what they want to get across is they're there for the town. Uh, they're not just there for a little subsection of the town, and, and good for them. God bless them. Uh, the church where I was at before I came here had a really, I liked the solidness of that name. It was the Glasgow Reformed Presbyterian Church. And Glasgow, because it was Glasgow, Delaware. But I had shades of Glasgow, Scotland, where Presbyterianism began. I'm thinking John Knox and Glasgow reformed because the pastor who started it uh, ran into some trouble with his reformed theology and people didn't get that biblical truth in the church that he, in the denomination he came from. So he wanted to make sure reformed is right there in the name. Uh, you know you're in here, you know it's reformed theology. Presbyterian because that's what we are in church. Glasgow reformed Presbyterian church. But that pastor left. 
and new people took over. And they thought, I guess, they thought that's too stodgy and too old of a name and too, and we are new and happening. So they na- changed the name of the church before they left the BCA anyway. They changed the name to Reach Church. Reach Church. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with Reach Toothbrushes, but I thought if I was still there, I could probably try and go to the toothbrush company and try and get a deal for the uh, softball team jerseys or something, especially if they uh, would call themselves the Reach Total Care Church. But uh, people have names. They have names. And there's a reason why there's a, a name for a church. And Christ the Shepherd is named Christ the Shepherd in Danbury for a reason. There was a thought process. There was some prayer that went behind it, and, and we got together uh, all those years ago. I hardly remember the meeting. I just know there was a meeting. Maybe Herb and I own who, were, who would have been at that meeting um, remember that meeting. But I know we did have a meeting. I don't remember the details. But we presented Christ the Shepherd as the name for the new church that was coming into Danbury. The reasoning was twofold. One is, I thought it fit with the location where when we came up here, there were 3% evangelical churches, about 10% that would have been other at that time, about 40-something percent, uh, like, atheist, agnostic, nuns, not Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E nuns, and then 40-some Catholic. And I thought, okay, Christ the shepherd is not going to be a slap in the face or a big question mark or a puzzle as we come up here to reach a lot of lapsed Catholics uh, welcome in our church. And I thought, Christ the Shepherd. And so many people have said, oh, Christ the Shepherd, I love that name. I had my first Holy Communion at Church of the Good Shepherd. And I thought, okay, that's good, that works. It fits, but it says something. But what I really was after when we began Christ the Shepherd Church was just even a philosophy of how we would um, approach a, a culture. How do you establish a culture? Uh, the Ezekiel 34 passage that Mark read this morning, and that warning about shepherds who just let the sheep go or who bully the sheep, beat them up, get their food. I didn't want to be a church that treated its people like that. People, Churches sometimes take what was called the Pony Express approach to church. They, they get somebody in there, they ride that horse till it's dead, <laughs> throw it in the ditch and hop on the next church, ride it till it's dead, and the mail gets delivered, but uh, they don't treat the people, the, the, the animals, quite right. And there's a, a shepherding component to Scripture. Wanted to be able to preach a sermon series like this. Wanted to have a, a theme verse like that. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. I'm a shepherd who's coming to, to, to restore and bring life. One of the culture that we could identify with and, and be happy with and, 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 and let God use that shepherding idea to, to come and gather God's people. People say, well, you're a smith. If you're a, if you're a smith and you Old Smith's got a problem with his son. He's saying, hey, I'm a Smith, you're a Smith. Here's what Smiths do. We don't give up. Here's, it's our family. It's our name. I wanted that name for Christ the shepherd and that idea of, of shepherding. We fall short of perfection. 
And yet, that is still the goal and what we strive for. But more than that, more than that, and what even feeds that is the constant reminder for ourselves and for everyone who drives by our sign and sees the sees and thinks of Christ the shepherd. I want people to see Christ and understand that identity of who Christ is. We know his three offices are prophet, priest, and king, but we see a strong shepherding element calling his people that serve in his church, you are the under-shepherds, take care of the sheep. It's, it's throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to tease that out and, and, and bring that out over the next several weeks. Who is Christ? Who is Jesus Christ, our shepherd? And that's what we'll be doing, and we're beginning with the classic passage on Christ the shepherd, John 10. So that's where we're at this morning. And I want us to see five things this morning from this, these, these six verses. Um, one, point number one will be the appointment that Jesus Christ the shepherd receives. Two, the response that Jesus Christ the shepherd evokes. Three, the call that Jesus Christ the shepherd issues. Four, the direction that Jesus Christ the shepherd provides. And finally, the obedience that Jesus Christ the shepherd elicits. So first of all, in the first couple of verses of this text, look at the appointment that Jesus Christ the shepherd receives. Verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. There are false shepherds all over the place. Not just religious false shepherds. There are people that want to lead you and, and uh, they want a following. Uh, some of it's, you know, uh, you, you see it now as, as, as social media explodes. How many followers do you have? I got to tell my followers this. I got to gain followers. I got to do what I can. I, I need people to watch and follow. I want to lead. I want to be an influencer. Uh, uh, wherever that is. And, and there are false shepherds religiously, false shepherds uh, in, a, in the secular world, which is just another religion, but a secular religion. And we see one only who is authorized to be the shepherd of God's sheep. Only one. They would take the sheep uh, according to what I read and the, the history I understand about shepherds and shepherding, uh, at night they would take the sheep to this common sheep pen. And all the sheep would be there, and the shepherds that had their sheep out in the field would bring them in, they'd sleep, and there was one person there to guard the sheep pen. And you weren't authorized in the morning when you came to get your sheep and take them out to the green pasture, you didn't get in. Somebody had to come in. If they wanted a sheep for a bad reason... They had to climb over the wall, steal a sheep. They had to come illegitimately to get the sheep. Jesus is saying there's one shepherd who's authorized. He says, I'm the shepherd to get the sheep. Anyone who comes another way is a thief and a robber. Now, next week we'll see more of this, so I won't spend as much time on this point this morning because we're going to get to the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's coming next week. Here... In this point, in this 
text of the sermon, just see that Jesus Christ is the one, the only one authorized to bring you into right relationship, to lead you through this world to God. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, one mediator. Jesus said, I am the way, definite article, the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then clearly no one, which means no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one authorized to lead you. Are you a child of God? What he would call one of the sheep of his pasture? Uh, Then he's got one shepherd for you and only one, Jesus Christ. The pen in this story is where everybody in the world is gathered together. Jesus comes along in the morning and takes his sheep out to pasture. He's the legitimate one. This wasn't a question. There was no question in that day of whether God would send a Messiah to them. Uh, They knew they were looking forward to the Messiah. All the Old Testament teaching pointed toward a Messiah. The question in that day was, is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is that the Messiah? Is that the one? And he spent his ministry uh, with his deeds, proving that he could, only, only things God could do. He spent his ministry teaching and saying he is the one, and he's the one. So it's not a question of, uh, are there messiahs out there? It's, is Jesus the one? The answer is, he is the one. He's the one who was foretold. He claimed it for himself. He connected it with what happened before in, in, in John chapter 9 that we'll refer back to in a little bit. What happened when Jesus was baptized? Remember that story? Jesus is baptized. It's, it's another Trinitarian appearance. Jesus, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, being baptized. Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Uh, the voice from heaven saying what? Do you remember from Scripture? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's the one. He's the one. And Jesus is the one who is authorized to be the only shepherd of his sheep. Gates open for him. He comes with his good motives. He calls his people. And the gatekeeper says, go in and get your sheep. Take them to pasture. They belong to you. Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me and no one will be able to pluck them out of my hand. I can't say enough. You are his sheep. He is your shepherd, if you're a Christian. Now, I don't like to be known as a sheep, I'll be honest. And in this political climate, it's funny when people say, come on, sheeple, hey, sheeple, don't follow these guys, don't listen to these guys, don't listen to them, and everybody's accusing everybody of being a sheeple and you being independent. But, you know, even those of us spurring ourselves on to be independent, that's kind of like sheep-like because we're still getting our marching orders from somebody. Uh, You look at pictures of Woodstock, for instance. Everybody was different uh, from their culture, but they all got there and they all looked the same. You know, there's there's still a uniform. Nobody's really, we're all sheep. It's a funny story. I thought about it and I said, I'll put it in because it's really funny. I'm t- and I got I to give, give my quick disclaimer really fast. I'm telling this, I wrote this, and I, I reread it a couple times. 
I'm telling this as one who is neutral about what you do with vaccinations. I have my own opinions about myself and shots and boosters. My strong opinion is just that you have freedom to decide for yourself, and I respect the thoughtful opinion of everyone, and I don't want anybody to be forced to do anything, but I don't want anybody to be uh, uh, swayed one way or the other with that. But this is just a funny story. This is from January. German campaigner is hoping the emotional appeal of 700 sheep forming the shape of a giant syringe will reach the hearts and minds of people hesitating to take a COVID-19 injection. Germany has lower vaccination rates than most other Western European nations, although some are simply unsure if they should get the jab rather than be vehemently opposed to the vaccination. Here's what this man said. He said, sheep are popular with people and carry positive emotional connotations, so perhaps they can reach many people emotionally when logic and scientific reasoning don't do the job. The organizer of the campaign, Hans-Peter Etzold, told Reuters, Etzold works with shepherds, companies, and animals to run team-building events in the northern German town of... Should have double-checked with Claudia. Schneverdingen. The sheep followed pieces of bread around a... 100-meter-long syringe shape as they were filmed by a drone. And, and then he thought that if all the sheep were in the shape of a syringe, they'd take the thing, and he didn't realize that the people who didn't have his position just said, look, don't be sheeple like this. Don't be sheeple. And, and it's back and forth. Okay, so here's the news. Uh, you don't want to be a sheeple? That's your business. Define it how you want. Be, don't be, I don't know. We all follow something or other. I'm saying the Bible calls you a sheep, says you're going to follow something. Bob Dylan had a clarity of mind moment in his life, and he said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Uh, he was right, whether he was right him, spiritually right at the time, but, but he was right when he said that. And you are following something, and if you're a Christian, you're a sheep. And you have to follow a shepherd. You can't make it through this earth without that. The question is, all of us sheep need to say, who is our shepherd going to be? And the Bible says the only shepherd that's authorized to be your shepherd, if you're God's person, is Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the authorized one. So, all the sheep who follow the legitimate shepherd, Jesus Christ, follow him all the way to heaven. Transition in the sermon. So I'm going from point one to point two. And I'm saying this again because we got to get this. When it comes to God's people, the legitimate shepherd does not have a D or an R after his or her name in parentheses. Not a politician. No earthly person should be your shepherd. Jesus Christ is your shepherd. They don't have a million-member Twitter following. They don't make speeches at Oscar or Emmy or Grammy award shows. They are professional athletes or human heroes of any type. There is one appointed shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. He's the legitimate one. That's what he claimed for himself. He appointed under shepherds. He appointed, and he calls uh, officers in his church shepherds of the sheep, but that's uh, as they follow Christ. Okay. So, that shepherd comes to the gate pen in the morning. He calls his sheep. The second point, the response that Jesus Christ, the shepherd, evokes. That's in verse 3. 
The sheep hear his voice, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep hear his voice. When Jesus calls you, you hear it. There's a general call, and people uh, are responsible to respond to the gospel, but boy, when Jesus comes knock, 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 knocking at your door and calls you, uh, you come. Lazarus, come forth. You know, I always thought, what if, what if there were five people named Lazarus in that? If it was a graveyard with people buried, that, that would have been interesting. But there was one Lazarus in that tomb, and he called him by name. Uh, Lazarus, come forth. When God calls, you come. Mark 12, 37, Jesus is talking. He says, David calls him, Lord, how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. There are people when Jesus speaks and calls, they hear him gladly, and they, and they come. John 6, 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Earlier in John 9, that led into this section, Jesus had healed a blind man, and he's had the dialogue with the blind man. And this all came about because the Pharisees didn't like what Jesus was doing. But Jesus had healed this blind man physically and let him see. And then you see Jesus calling him and the spiritual healing that takes place. Uh, Verses 35 through 38 of chapter 9, right there. But Jesus heard that, that they had cast him out of the temple. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Another name that Jesus used for himself quite frequently. The man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Uh, There are people, when Jesus calls you, singles you out, taps you on the shoulder, you come to him. and and, 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 And Jesus' voice evokes a response. They know the voice of their own shepherd. We got a dog at our house that's getting old. That Romeo uh, was telling, talking this morning about him. He, a lab rescue dog. Mom was a lab, and but everybody who sees him from the vets and people who know their dogs say, "Oh, a flat coat retriever." You look up flat coat retriever. They live till they're about eleven. He might have another little bit of time left in him out of what he got from the mom's bloodline or however that works. But he's getting old. He doesn't tear up and down the stairs anymore. Uh, It's a good day to just see him sometimes bounding up the hill after he's out doing his business because he knows his dinner is there. But those days are are, are few and far in between. In the morning about 4 or 5 o'clock when we get up, me and Romeo, and he's got to go down the stairs He's still disoriented from all that sleeping. You don't want to turn the hall lights on and make a bunch of commotion. And so I pull my little phone out and hit the light on the phone. And uh, I give him about two or three steps, and he gets to see that and and go. And I said, I'm going to save that. There's an illustration there. And next time I preach on thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, I'm going to use that. But I'm using it today because it's not just the light It's also my voice, and it's me saying reassuringly and being just one or two steps ahead of him with that little light, come on, Romeo, come on, Romeo. He hears my voice, he trusts in me, and he comes down those stairs in the morning, or he wouldn't make it. The sheep hear the voice of their shepherd. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. My voice is there, and he responds. If he heard another voice, if... One of you came in and said, hey, Romeo, come on. You know what he would do? Oh, 
deep bark, and, and, and you'd say, who's this mean dog up here? Um, he responds to the voice that he knows. The sheep respond to the voice that they know. Jesus calls you, and if you belong to Jesus, if you're his sheep, you're going to respond to the voice. And you know what the word I say that gives him confidence? Any guesses? His name. Hey, Romeo, good boy. Hey, Romeo, good boy. Hey, Romeo, come on, Romeo. You can do this, Romeo. Go slow, Romeo. Come on, Romeo. And I call him, which is our third point, the call that Jesus Christ the shepherd issues is a personal call by name. If you are his, he knows your name. He knows about you. He knows what's going on in your head. He knows uh, your frustrations. You might have to work or maybe hear a song that takes you back to a time and, and all of a sudden a wave of sadness creeps over you because you associate that song with a very sad time in your life. Uh, he knows uh, when you're, even when you forgot about that time and you don't hear that song that prompts it. He knows the sadness you felt then. He knows you. You're not just a number to him. He's your shepherd. He calls you by name and you follow him. And that's your reassurance. The direction he provides. What's the direction that he provides? Jesus has come. He's called you out of the world. He's called you and you've responded. You've heard his voice because you're his sheep. He's called you by name. And you know it's a personal relationship you have with that leader of yours, your Messiah, Jesus Christ. What does he do then? It says in verse 4, he, uh, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The direction, he leads them out. I take Romeo down the stairs. He's standing there, and I say, come on back up the stairs. Come on, Romeo. And I take him back down and up and down, and I I laugh at how I I got him to go up and down the stairs three or four times. I would never do that to that old man. (laughs) I've got a purpose to take him downstairs because I love my dog. That dog has spent a few hours, and he needs to go out and do his business. He needs to come in and get his breakfast. And I'm a loving A master. Don't tell anybody I said that. We're not supposed to say that. We're supposed to talk about people. But I'm a loving owner. Oh, I can't say that either. I'm a loving companion. I'm a loving shepherd for my sheep who's a dog. And I talked to Mark and Linda about this and got permission. Their little dog, Bria, can't make it down the steps. So you know what happens for Bria? Her shepherd carries her down the stairs and carries her and lets her because she needs to be with her people. And you think about Jesus lovingly leading and taking care of his people, knowing our weaknesses. And, and sometimes uh, he can give you a two-step lead and you can follow him and, and you hear his voice. Sometimes Jesus just has to pick you up and carry you. We're going to get to that in one of our sermons on the 90 and 9 sheep and the, and the shepherd that went out. Uh, you think about 
that relationship that you have with God. And God's the one who made the analogy, not me. God made the analogy of sheep and shepherd. Called you a sheep, called himself the shepherd. And said, live with that and love that. And embrace that and be that. He leads us. When that shepherd called you out of your sheep pen and into a life of following him, was it for your good? Yes, it was. Throughout scripture, there's promises that he's called you into something good. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And we can take that, how God treated his people in that day and say, this is how God works with his people. And we can apply that and say, that's God's plan for us. That's how God treats peop- those people. That's how he treats us. God doesn't change. So that's God's attitude towards God's people. And I would say just follow him. Follow him. Jesus' authority, his rightful place as your shepherd, the personal relationship, which is a love relationship that he has toward you. We love him, right? Because he first loved us, Scripture says. And finally, we see that in that following and that walking, the obedience that Jesus Christ the shepherd elicits. Verses 4 and 5, last point. Jesus said, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. There were people, and the context of Jesus giving that teaching was in the context of, of a religious group I mean, we bash on the Pharisees, but it was more than just, it was religious leaders, Pharisees were part of that, that they were people who even had the scriptures. All the scriptures they had up to that point were the Old Testament. They had the scriptures. But their idea of leading was keep these rules, or obedience, keep these rules, follow these rules, follow these rules, follow these rules. Uh, some of them did a great job of keeping their own rules. Some of them, as, as we see our own leaders during these days, uh, were great hypocrites. And they'd say, do as I say, not as I do. And you see all the hypocrisy. And I think that's part of of, of why people are just saying enough is enough to some of these things. Because the quote-unquote leaders aren't doing what they're making us riffraff do. And Jesus came into a world like that where he saw leaders just saying, obey, 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 obey. But there was no real reason, no real loving joy no shepherd's voice, no uh, assurance of a destination uh, of heaven where where Jesus is taking us. Jesus elicits obedience as our shepherd, not the burdens that were placed on people, not the kind that demands the um, impossible, not the kind that pounds their fists and says, you follow the rules because we're your shepherds. Might makes right. None of that. We say, follow the leader, Jesus Christ the shepherd, and you will find yourself obeying the rules. You'll catch yourself being more godly. You'll go, man, wow, I wouldn't have done that before I was a Christian. I might not have even done that instinctively in the early days of being a Christian, but as I follow Christ, or even as I follow 
Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ. As I live this thing, I find myself, and part of the deal of God saving you is justification, but it's also this practical sanctification that's connected. That's connected. It's like setting up dominoes. Before we learn how to play dominoes, we know how to stand them up and push and watch them go with patterns. I had one little brother who'd always sneak in and push it when we were half set it up. Meh. You know, but setting those dominoes, the domino that Jesus pushed when he called you, effectively called you, is justification. It's adoption into his family. Adoption is part of, of what God did. And sanctification is part of that. It's connected. Follow your leader, Jesus Christ. You'll just find yourself following the rules. You'll find yourself wanting to go to church and being in church, and worshiping, and participating, and learning, and partaking. You'll be in the Word of God. And Jesus will be interacting with you through His Holy Spirit. There'll be that communion with Jesus as you follow Jesus. If He's saved you, uh, don't now try to do all these. He saved you. You're going to do these things if you're really saved. It's going to happen. And when you get off the path, which we do, He will gently restore you. Again, we're going to get to the 90 and 9. But understand uh, that even as we follow the shepherd, sheep stray. Part of the confession of sin, we confess our sins. Part of it is just, just, I've sinned, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, I need you. But part of our confession of sin, part of that is just the sheep off the path, stuck in the bush, and having to bleat really loud to get the shepherd's attention so the shepherd can come back and, and gently bring that sheep back. That's confession of sin, too. It's not just, you better confess every sin you did, and if you don't, they're all stored up, and Jesus is going to show everybody on a big screen in heaven, and all that stuff that I thought and maybe I might have heard or misheard when I was a kid. No, that confession of sin is to say, God, I'm off the path, and I, I don't have the ability to follow you. I confess I've erred. I've strayed. Erred, I guess, is the way you're supposed to say it if you're educated. I've erred and I've strayed. Um, Jesus, come get me. That's confession. And Jesus does. Holiness and godly living is certainly part of the Christian's life. Yes, never say it's not. It always is. But I want you to understand that I just say that. Holiness and godly living is part of it, but that's not what saves you and puts you into the right relationship with the shepherd. We're, we're taking this men's class. Uh, we're reading through an old book by an old uh, Anglican bishop named J.C. Ryle, talking about holiness. And boy, we're all glad. We spent two weeks on this chapter on sin. We're all glad to be done with sin. Had to, had to establish that so we could talk about the, uh, the sanctification part. So we're done with that part. So it's safe. If you, were, if you were putting it off until now, it's safe to come back, but I'm going to swerve back and get you with it once or twice at least. But, but it's growing. Holiness and, and following God is part of it. Uh, one of the church fathers said this. He said, and this is me trying to let you know that obedience is not what saves you because you can't perfectly obey in thought, word, deed, uh, sins of omission, sins of commission. You can't perfectly anyway. You're saved by Christ. But there is a living, holy living component that comes with it. There is a following Jesus. And one of the church fathers said it this way, and it's the best way I've heard. 
He said, we're saved by faith alone, but not the faith that is alone. And along with this great gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins and removal of that and what it means, God's given you this great gift of following Jesus and working out your faith with fear and trembling. And I just want to, as we close, okay, as we close, where's the destination? Where is Jesus leading us? Where is he leading you? He called you at some point in your life. Maybe you were a kid uh, and your mom was reading the Bible to you and, and, you, uh, and she talked to you about your own need of Jesus, personal need, and, and uh, we would say in our, in our Bible ease, you know, she led you to Christ, which she did in some cases. Maybe it was as an adult. Maybe you heard some things and you strayed and you came back and all that. You say, I'm going to follow Christ. Where does he lead you? When does it stop? He's going to lead you all the way to heaven through his Holy Spirit. And so we get to be lifetime Christians. Uh, We come back all the time to the cross. We say, that's what saved us. Jesus saved us. And now I get to be a Christian in this world. And not everybody gets to be. I get to be. Wow, I'm going to do it no matter how hard it is. Sometimes people get to be Christians and they end up uh, getting killed for being a Christian or put in jail for being a Christian or they just get laughed at by their families for being a Christian. Uh, But boy, follow Jesus on that path. He's your true shepherd and he knows your name and he called you. And here's the thing about obedience that I don't want to forget. There was one, even though you don't perfectly obey, even as a Christian, we learned this in our class, even as a Christian, Sin is so strong and powerful that even after it's been defeated in your life, you still do it. That's a pretty powerful enemy that it, it's never dead. It was, I said it was like a, one of those old Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, and you know there's going to be a sequel because at the end he's been killed, and then the